Now we're on lesson three of the winter quarter. The title of the lesson is Ezra Arrives to Teach God's Law, and the scriptures are Ezra chapters seven and eight. Lord, we thank you for this record of fulfilled prophecy. And uh, they, uh, the exiles were being trained in patience through this and in determination through this. And let us take that as an example for us to do your will, even with uh, resistance, against resistance, as we depend on you. And we pray for your spirit to help us to understand what we're learning about here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So section A is Ezra is qualified to teach. Um, here, I'll, I'll read that section. So uh, Ezra 7, verse 1. Now after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Saraiah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalem, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meraioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested, because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants, went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, <clears throat> which is in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the first month he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, because the good hand of his God was upon him. So exactly four months for the trip. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Okay, so I want you to notice it starts off in chapter 7, verse 1, with after these things. Now, after these things. So what things? We always like to look at what things. The verse before, which is chapter 6, verse 22, was 57 years earlier than this verse. So 57 years had passed. This was now 458 B.C., and uh, during that time, the book of Esther transpired. So between the end of chapter 6 of Ezra and the beginning of chapter 7, all the events of Esther took place, which is interesting. So verses 1 through 5 is a long list of Hebrew names. That is a genealogy. Thank you. That is the genealogy of Ezra. And note it goes back to Aaron, so Ezra is a priest, and his line went through Eleazar and Phinehas, you know, very famous chief priests of the past, and then Zadok, who was also chief priest under Solomon, and then finally to 
Ezra, this is not a complete genealogy. It leaves out uh, several generations. This is 16 generations here, but several are left out. And you can see that if you go to the genealogies in the Chronicles. Um, that is not the same as the genealogies in Genesis chapter 5 and 11. You know, some of the genealogies are incomplete. And uh, some people will argue, well, because those genealogies are incomplete, the genealogies in Genesis versus chap you know, chapter 5 and chapter 11 are incomplete, which would change the dating for the, uh, you know, the length of time the earth has been here. We believe in the young earth uh, view, and that depends upon the completeness of the genealogies in Genesis chapters 5 and 11. And those genealogies are different in that they list the time when the first son was born and how many years before the father died, and et cetera. And so those are complete genealogies. So I just wanted to make that point about that. Yeah, here they're making the point that Ezra is descended from Aaron. Yeah, priest, so. Right. That, that was the faithful line of yeah, priests yeah. through Zadok, you know. Yeah. Abiathar's line, or no, the, uh, through Ithamar. The, the yeah, I remember. Ithamar's line included Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who the Lord killed because of their a disloyalty to God. And so anyway, the, Ezra descends from the faithful line of priests. And um, verse 6 talks about Ezra. This Ezra went up from Babylon. He went up to Jerusalem from Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. Remember, this is the second wave coming from Babylon to Jerusalem, and the first wave was Zerubbabel with 50,000 people. They built the temple, and they did have a priest with them, high priest Jehozadak. Um, but Ezra's coming with the law. He's bringing the law because he is a scribe skilled in the law which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. So Ezra requested from the king. How dangerous do you think that was? Yes, sir. Uh, from the, the Persian king. Yeah. yeah. From man's standpoint. Yeah, so Ezra approached Artaxerxes, who was the, remember last Last week, I gave you the five kings in line, starting from Cyrus to Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is the fifth. He's the one who sent Ezra. And this is from the book of Esther. This is chapter 4 and verse 11 of Esther. And this was the king before him, King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes. Esther says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king... To the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. So that was the situation Ezra was under, too. That was the, the Persian kings. Yeah, so, you know, the last couple of weeks I've mentioned a couple of times that the faith of the 
exiles was weak because they were afraid. Ezra's faith was not weak. He was not afraid of the Persian king. So verses 8 and 9, it talks about, this is a four-month trip. It was about 900 miles. Yeah, he left on the first of the month, first of the first month, and got there on the first of the fifth month in Jerusalem. Yeah, and he said, because the good hand of his God was upon him, so he came with many people and also many valuables. He had silver. Um, he had some temple utensils and things like that. And it was not a safe trip. So look at verse 10. Verse 10 is very key. And this is, verse 10 is important for us too. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. That should be our goal. Our goal should be to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and then to teach others how to do it. So there's one thing that Ezra was not, and that was original. Ezra was not original. This is from the quarterly. It says, uh, Ezra viewed himself as a student of, not a contributor to, the ancient body of sacred writing penned by Moses a thousand years earlier. We still have the same task today, to discover God's will in his revealed word and obey it. You know, there's, there's, uh, there's too much originality in churches. There's too much originality. You know, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, this is when he's speaking to, I believe, Pharisees. Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So Jesus himself was not original. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was not original. He did not make up anything. He did what the Father told him. He did what the Father told him. Yeah. So there is no place for originality. In the, you know, we look at the Bible, we interpret it as written, and we teach it that way. And we don't make up other stuff. <laughs> and that is how you get blessed. Because why? Because the, Lord, the Lord's word does not return to him void. So if you use his word, you have his power behind it. If you make up your own stuff, you don't have that. Yeah, I had a teacher. She was one of my favorite teachers in high school. And she said something that really struck me and made me very uncomfortable. She said, the only thing that does not change is change itself. That's what she said. Now, does that make you feel stable? No. See, that is a lie. That is a lie because there is one thing that is stable. That is this. And the one who gave it. And he is like a rock that you can anchor everything to. And that's what we stand on. So even though the world is swirling in chaos around us, we're stable. 
we're stable if we hang on to this. So that's the, the end of that section. Um, section B is Ezra is authorized to strengthen worship. And that's verses 11 through 20. Somebody want to read that section? No, I mean, this, this whole section, these three books are fulfilled prophecy. Yeah, Esther is kind of a outworking of Genesis 12, verse 3. But So verses 11 through 13, Ezra's going to Jerusalem to teach the law of God in the city with a functioning temple. That sounds like the place of blessing, does it not? Artaxerxes allowed anyone who wanted to go, to go. Yeah, so the king said, verse 13, I have issued a decree that any of the people of Israel and their priests and the Levites in my kingdom who are willing to go to Jerusalem may go with you. They were free to go. That was the place of blessing. Did all of them go? No. No, all of them did not go to the place of blessing. Why do you, why do you think that was? Because they'd already established their homes. Their homes. That is a lot like uh, being a Christian today, isn't it? Yeah. Where is the place of blessing today? It is in obedience to the Lord. Yeah. That is the place yeah. of... In obedience to the Lord is the place of blessing. Because we're, the, we're his temples, and so anywhere we right. are with him. And, you know, that includes meeting together. And, you know, there's a whole host of things that he he doesn't really ask. He commands us to do. And that is the place of blessing. So this is a question from the quarterly. Why do some Christians choose to pursue eternal goals while others choose to stay in a comfort zone defined by worldly attitudes? Yeah, because discipleship means you have to give up something, right? Yeah. And people are afraid to do that. They don't realize that when you give it, you do give up things. But the Lord gives you back things that are better. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, when we were saved in an instant for free, and it takes a little while before we realize, you know, there's more. And this is uh, Ephesians 4, verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, this is to believers, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That is the place of blessing for us. So actually, the the things in Esther happened before what we're reading here. Okay. So then Romans 8, 12, and 14 also relates to us and this place of blessing. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. This is to the believer. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So that's where we want to be. And it's a progressive thing. We grow into it as time goes on. We learn as believers that we can trust him more and more in this world, in what is happening around us, and that's the place of blessing. So that's where we want to be. Amen.
Um, so verse 14. For as much as you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem, according to the law of your God, which is in your command. So there's the king and his seven counselors. And we learn a little more about these counselors, again in Esther, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And it says, Then the king said, now this is Ahasuerus speaking, Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for it was the custom of the king to speak before all who knew law and justice and were close to him, Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Marsena, and Mamukan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who had access to the king's presence and sat in the first place in the kingdom. So they were like his uh, cabinet, these seven princes. And Artaxerxes also had seven princes. Remember, the seven counselors in Esther were the ones who said, told Ahasuerus to get rid of his queen because she refused to obey him. And get an, and get another queen, and that is how God providentially introduced Esther in there to protect the Jews from in Persia. So they sent to inquire whether the law of God was being carried out in Jerusalem. You know, he sent his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem, according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. So Persia wanted the Mosaic law to be practiced in Israel. And that was part of their policy, because they wanted the other nations and the other gods to be praying for them, which is good for, you know, if they would just whittle it down to one, they would be perfect. And uh, so then verses 15 and 16, they traveled with a lot of uh, valuables. Yeah. And to bring the silver and gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Jerusalem. So these pagans were offering, giving to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold, which you find in the whole province of Babylon, along with the free will offering of the people and of the priests who offered willingly for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem. So this reminds me of Egypt when they left Egypt. The Lord said, ask your neighbors for things. And they did. And the, that was great. their neighbors awesome. gave them stuff. <laughs> their neighbors gave them things. Our because labor forces so this is a free will offering of the people. So who is the one who supports the Lord's work? Who supports the Lord's work? Ultimately. Yeah, he does, right? God supports the Lord's work. He can do it all sorts of different ways. We can be involved in it if we allow him to move us. And we are rewarded for that. I mean, he's the one who does it. He's the one who supplies it. He's, he's the one who influences us if we're willing to allow him to. And then he will reward us for it at the Bema Seat Judgment. So, you know, this, this was prophesied, so this would happen. If they were unwilling to do it, it would happen some other way. 
but it would happen. When God says something, it will happen. We have the opportunity to be used by him to do it. That's the opportunity we have. If we refuse, which we have the ability to do, he will do it another way. But it will happen. Verse 17, with this money, therefore, this tells you what, what the offerings were for. With this money, therefore, you shall diligently buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings, their drink offerings, and offer them on the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. So it wasn't for construction. The temple was already built. This was for the offerings. This money was for the offerings. Yeah, I, you know, I think maybe for the uh, believing Jews, that was the, the thing for the uh, Persians, because the Persians were giving too. They gave a lot. But like you said, they they wanted to be blessed. For me with your God, exactly. You know, that's it. So, they were bargaining. Yeah, yeah. They were bargaining. Covering their, you know, derriers. Like, yeah, they 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 were bargaining for uh, you know to be blessed it, yeah. by the God of Israel. Yeah. So, so verse eighteen. Whatever seems good to you and to your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. That is a blank check. Yes. You know, if any of this money that we have given you is not used, you go ahead and use it for whatever you want. You go ahead and use it for whatever you want. So um, that was pretty gracious, yeah. <laughs> I would say. And then finally he said, the rest of the needs for the house of your God for which you may have occasion to provide, provide for it from the royal treasury. So if you come short, go ahead and go to the treasury and, uh, and we'll give that to you. So the Lord, the Lord had really moved the Persian kings to, to bless them. So that's, that's nice. I wonder, you know yeah, I, yeah, I think you know, I, I would have to study the history more, but I'm, I'm sure that that, you know, the Persians were blessed until they started to turn, because they always start to turn. Yeah. The unbelievers always start to turn, on Israel, and that's when the curse comes, and that's probably when Greece came, well, with Alexander, and conquered them. Like you said, a blessing. Okay, so section C. Ezra implements the law of God. And that's verses 21 through 28. Anyone want to give that a shot? Okay, thank you. We talked about this, I think it was last week, that that one verse, uh, verse 24, our founding fathers back in the 1700s knew the book of Ezra and that is why they instituted no tax policy on churches, which has lasted no no taxation on churches. Because of this verse in Ezra, where the where the uh, priests and all the temple workers were not taxed, and so we still enjoy that today. Although I'm not sure how long it will last in our current environment. So, verses 21 and 22, it talks about the uh, King Artaxerxes giving Ezra 
up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil and salt as needed. The quarterly says this is a line of credit. That is not what the Bible says. Credit has to be paid back. Yeah, this was a gift. Three and three quarters tons of silver. 600 bushels of wheat, 600 gallons of oil, salt without measure, and also wine. There were 600 gallons of wine. That's a party. That's a party. So those are, you know, the money is to buy animals for sacrifice. The others are for grain and drink offerings. And salt without measure. Remember, all the grain offerings had to be offered with salt. Everything had to have salt be tasty. So, and salt does make things tasty, and it does preserve it, yes. In verse 23, this is their motivation. We've mentioned this before. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done with zeal for the house of the God of heaven, so that there will not be wrath against the kingdom of the king and his sons. He wanted to be on God's good side. Don't we all? Don't we all? Yes. Um, now, this is a quarterly question, which I thought was interesting. What actions do you think a government could take to avoid divine judgment? Yeah, there isn't a biblical example of this. And this is Jonah. Chapter 3, starting in verse 5, it says this. Remember, Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh and prophesy against it. And Jonah said, no, and he went the other way. Then he drowned, was brought back to life, and the Lord spoke to him a second time <laughs> and said, go again. He said, okay, this time I'll go. Yeah, but anyway, this is what happened. Remember, Nineveh was terrible. The Assyrians were horrid. They would, they would skin their prisoners of war alive. They would torture them horrifically. They're the ones who invented crucifixion. They were absolutely horrid. So then... Uh, Verse 5, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. This is when Jonah prophesied. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Well, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So that is how a government can avoid the wrath of God. And then they went back to their old ways down the road. So for us today, we want representatives that will enact laws that support biblical values. That is the divine institutions, you know, marriage, work, National borders, you know, yes, honesty in the judicial system, yes. Um, is that happening? 
That is not happening. Not 100%. That is not happening. And so I do, I do not think we will avoid the wrath of God in the United States. I do not think so. But we can, do, we can still do it. And we will be spared. And we continue to tell people, even though they act like they cannot hear, how to avoid it themselves. You know, um, I was looking at Revelation chapter 9, either this morning or yesterday morning, but it's interesting. Re Revelation chapter 9 is during the tribulation period. It is the fifth trumpet judgment where an angel releases from the abyss demons that have you know, the appearance of locusts, and they sting people for five months. And it hurts so bad that they want to die, and they can't die. So he, there's going to be a lot of failed suicides going on during this time. They'll try to kill themselves. They will not be able to die. That's what we're talking about. But at the end of that judgment, it says that the people who are still here did not repent. So what that means is that you can become hardened enough that you can't repent anymore if you're presented the gospel and you refuse. And this happens enough, over and over enough, and you refuse that you be, come to the point where you can't accept. That's where they were. Yeah, you can't accept. There's a hardening that takes place when you reject. Well, a like, little, you're a little bit more hardened when you reject. It's like Pharaoh when you... Well, know. that's what sin does. Yeah. Sin draws you in further and further until you're dead. <laughs> so verse 25 and 26, Ezra was instructed by the king to teach the Mosaic Law, and he had the authority to enforce it, as well as the laws of Persia. So... Remember, the Mosaic Law had multiple penalties associated with it. Many of them were death. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the Persian king gave Ezra the authority to impose those penalties. And he actually did that. We'll get to it in chapter 10. It said, chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, They made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem that whoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the leaders and the elders, all his possessions would be forfeited, and he himself would be excluded from the assembly of the exiles. So he had the authority to do that. He would con confiscate all your goods, and you would be exiled. Well, and he, by according to the Persian king, he had the authority to do that. Yeah, so in verse 27 and 28, Ezra was thanking God for all these blessings that moved the king of Persia to do for him. So now the quarterly skips chapter 8, so I'll give you my little summary. Okay. Verses 1 through 14 of chapter 8 are a list of the families accompanying Ezra back to Jerusalem. Verses 15 through 20... Ezra, before he launched out, noticed that there were no Levites. So he sent for some, and the Lord helped him find some. 
Now, verse 21 through verse 32, Ezra had told the king that the Lord would protect them on the way. And so he was a little bit nervous about that, so he fasted. They all fasted and prayed. And then the Lord did protect them on the way with all this money. So that prayer was answered in verse 31. And then verses 33 to 36, the treasure was placed in the temple and the king's edicts were delivered to all these opposing government officials around Jerusalem. He says, this is what the king of Persia says, you can't pick on us <laughs> anymore. <laughs> you know, and you have to pay us if we watch it to for this, for our sacrifices. So the Lord had his way there. So, Lord, we thank you that you always have your way. Help us align ourselves with you. In Jesus' name, amen.